Professors FM. Analytics with Mike Lewis, the podcast where we talk about everything you need to know about sports analytics. Here's your host, Mike Lewis, marketing professor at Emory University. Hey, welcome everyone to the Fanalytics Podcast. My name is Mike Lewis. I am joined with Doug Battle. It is the 22nd day of June, and Doug, I got to tell you, it's really starting to feel like Groundhog Day. Um, <laughs> there are still no sports, rumors of sports that are on the horizon, a great deal of social unrest, and a looming yes. pandemic. So, with that as the background, What's on your mind this morning? Well, Mike, when it comes to sports, there's only so much to work with right now. I mean, we've got stories, uh, but some of these stories are (laughs) non-stories. And when I say that, I'm really referring to the MLB, where last week, for example, there were multiple times uh, where there would be a proposal that would later be rejected. And we get reports on both of those over and over again to the point where it really does feel like Groundhog Day. Well, as, as we tape this, Major League Baseball is going to vote today. The players are going to vote today with the at least the coverage indicating that the players are going to reject the offered 60 games in right. 66 days season. Right. So, and they were supposed to vote yesterday and they pushed it off to today, but it's just been, I don't know, the whole MLB story is just frustrating at this point because there's no progress you know it's like uh it's like people from opposing parties coming together to try to put together a policy politics. well i'll give you i'll give you my quick reaction to it and and i and and, and i mentioned some of this in a earlier podcast that it, it seems that a lot of sports right now and not to pick on major league baseball too much has forgotten the the ultimate consumer in this equation I see very little discussion, whether it's MLB or it's NBA or really putting the end consumer for first and foremost. And, and, you know, perhaps that makes sense. Right. It's uh, and I think sports business is a little bit different for this in that, you know, it is built around the competition between between teams. And that is more at the core than and this is a comparison to other industries right it's you know winning the championship is at the core of how franchises think of themselves rather as putting out a product to serve consumers but in this moment like i said with and it's hard to even um it's hard to talk around these issues because there's so much uh there's such a magnifying glass uh applied to any comments that are made at this moment but we are clearly going through a cultural moment, a really kind of dramatic change on top of a economy altering, perhaps, you know, for the at least the medium term pandemic. And Major League Baseball cannot seem to get beyond their tradition of ownership and players fighting relentlessly over every new agreement to the point where I don't know. I mean, I, I kind of hear it in your voice. I do you think Major League Baseball is going to? How many games do you think Major League Baseball is going to play? I'm not so confident that they will play. Um, okay. At this point, at this point, it's like they may as well just have a home run derby and call it a day. 
Well, I, I like that point because I do think that whatever they end up doing, and I think this is a danger for all the leagues, is it's going to feel like an exhibition season. Exactly. Yeah. And and it's hard to imagine a championship like for the NBA, for example, um, that doesn't have an asterisk next to it this year. I could see down the road in the LeBron versus Jordan versus Kobe argument, people saying, well, LeBron had four rings. And people saying, yes, but one of those was in the, you know, one of those was the short season a few years back. And then the other one was the coronavirus Disney World season. Like that one doesn't really count. Well, and it certainly feels that way. And that asterisk on the Corona or COVID 19's abbreviated season needs to be pretty extensive, right? I mean, one of the, and the other thing that I think was really in the news the last week was college football players returning to campus and some of the testing that's been done on, on the on the players. And I, I want to say and these numbers could be a little bit off that LSU has twenty players that are COVID positive. Clemson <laughs> has about that same number, maybe maybe more. All right. And and so. In the NBA, if the policy is when someone's positive, they are quarantined for two weeks, it will be one of the more interesting things that will play out is who's actually going to be on the rosters at any point in time during the season and the playoffs. I mean, imagine an NBA Finals, uh, Bucks versus Lakers, the two one seeds. I know that's not a guarantee, but just for argument's sake, imagine that playoff series with LeBron James, Anthony Davis and Giannis Antetokounmpo all tested positive for coronavirus out for two weeks. That's the whole series. So you've got an NBA championship <laughs> that would be played by some less than no. I mean, Chris Middleton would be the biggest name on the court. And that that is a legitimate. If you look at how many people are testing positive with these college teams, I mean, you talk about 20 or 30 guys out of what, 70 to 100. Um right. That's quite a few people that are asymptomatic, but regardless, in the NBA, they're going to have to sit out. So it'll be a very unique situation. There's not going to be a Jordan flu game this go round. If anyone's showing symptoms, they're out. Right, and, and I mean, and, and just as you're having that discussion, I was a couple of things that were remarkable is your ability to pronounce Giannis's name, um, and so that will be one of your uh, one of your expertise on the program. <laughs> and, and the other that suddenly you, you can also imagine that the, the chief role of the, the team nutritionist in the, the conditioning program is the immune system preparation. You know, having the, the, the vitamin D and the zinc in, in play. I mean, and look, th- this one kind of hits a little bit close to home, the way sports is going through this, because it absolutely mirrors some of the discussions we're having it, or, or that I'm not I'm not part of these discussions, but that we're hearing about uh, at the university level. And, you know, while this is not getting a lot of play, right, in terms of the world of sports, but what does happen when there is this this positive test and then this cascade based on who, who, who has been in contact with? And so in the in the case of a professor, right, if there's a student in a class that test positive, um, then is just about everyone in that class under quarantine for two weeks. And, you know, obviously the academic setting is of much less <laughs> interest and important right, importance right. compared to the sports setting. But the, the, the point holds true, right? And so what is the contingency plan 
uh, you know, in the case of a college campus, it seems like the contingency plan has got to be, well, the, the network of exposure is going to spread pretty rapidly. And you imagine we could end up at a shutdown pretty quickly. So is that the same scenario that, you know, when a disease goes through one of the teams and they've got seven, eight members and they just played another one of the teams, are these things almost given the and again and again you gotta i think we've got to acknowledge the mood of the country and sort of the 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 appetite for risk that as soon as something starts to happen is this stuff going to cascade and are we you know what are the odds are the odds long that this that any of this stuff is going to go through the end season to to a championship uh mlb or nba i'm i'm certainly concerned about that um and it it extends into football next year. You talk about, you know, Dr. Fauci this week recommended or, or said that football is going to need a bubble like what the NBA is uh, enacting in order to have a season. And so it feels like a different ball game when instead of teams of 10 to 15, you have teams of 70 guys out there um, in a bubble like are they on a campus playing with the NFL or for college football with how many teams there are it's just hard to imagine that and with what we're seeing with the number of guys that are testing positive at Clemson and LSU these teams that have reported uh, the testing and and I will add that I've read that most of those players are asymptomatic um, which isn't too surprising given the demographic and the health that those guys are typically in but if there's the same kind of measures taking with with football, it's it's certainly harder to imagine when you have ten times as many people out there. Well, how could you even do a, a bubble in the college sports? That's, that's what right? I'm saying. I mean, yeah, you're, you're. Do we take all the college teams, put them somewhere, and uh, I don't know. There's a specialized college football faculty that is teaching locally and via Zoom, right? It's the logistics just don't. They don't work with the college athlete, with the college athlete experience. Um, it'll be interesting when I mean, if MLB does report, let's say in the next week and does get this moving, and the NBA teams do make it down to Orlando, it's going to be uh, an interesting data point to understand just how many folks have been exposed. And I, I, I think you're right that the vast majority are going to be are going to will not be showing symptoms. Which will be another kind of, it'll be another piece of really salient information about what this disease is. Yeah, yeah, and I guess this this could be considered controversial. Um, There comes a point to me with, with this virus, and we're seeing the numbers of people that are asymptomatic. Like, for example, Ezekiel Elliott, and, and there have been a number of NFL players tested positive um, with no serious illness symptoms actually reported. And there comes a point where it's like, is there a way to have these guys who are in tip top shape who aren't reporting any symptoms, uh, ones without pre existing conditions, you know, just do their job and compete in a, in a way that distances them from people that may be more vulnerable. Cause ultimately the, the coronavirus precautions are focused on protecting the vulnerable, the elderly, um, people with pre-existing conditions. And so at some point it's like, will there be a change in approach and not make it about 
keep everyone from having this virus, but keep everyone that's not likely to be asymptomatic um, from having this virus. But clearly this is a highly complex situation uh, where franchises and leagues are making highly consequential decisions with a lot of variables at play, including the fact that even the asymptomatic players could potentially spread it to family members who are vulnerable. And so, you know, unprecedented times for professional sports leagues and in ownership. And I think they are taking their time and, and being deliberate and delicate in handling this. Well, okay. So let's, um, this is, uh, this is one of these topics where suddenly you get in trouble, right? What are the, what are the sports guys doing talking about diseases, right? Who, who's the epidemiologist on the, on, on the program? Um, <laughs> Now, you know, so the, so the way I will come at this and sort of just to put a little bit of credibility to this is that you know, my background is in analytics. It's in working with data. Some of that can be, you know, I, I worked on research related to the diffusion of innovations decades ago. Um, that, that, that line of research tends to be focused on models that actually come from epidemiology, though probably relatively primitive ones compared to common usage. But I, I think you do have to, it, it's, it's all, well, I, I don't know, I was about to say that it's helpful, but if you go back to the, the history of this disease or the history of knowledge about this disease or about what's communicated, right, this started out being uh, the concern was flattening the, the curve to essentially right. slow things down. It has, and in some ways, if you're talking if you're looking for the rational approach to this, I, I can tell you as a marketing guy, the rational approach may be irrelevant to this because what matters is the societal reaction. The optics and of it. I think we have moved beyond this idea of flattening the curve to this is to the pandemic is a disaster and we have to stomp it down essentially isolate until the disease and this is a little bit unfair right isolate until the disease is gone and then we can like what what essentially has happened in new zealand then we can reopen and, and get back out there i think you're right that from everything we've seen after rather than two months of two weeks of flattening the curve three months of flattening the curve that cases continue to pop up and so as sports comes back, as universities come back, it will be telling what happens the first time someone not test positive, right, but has a serious reaction to the illness. And if there's a serious case of the illness in Orlando or on a major league baseball team mm -hmm. or at a university, I suspect everything stops. It will, and and the perception is going to be, the story is going to be that these leagues and these owners um, are selfish and they're putting other people's health and well-being at risk in order to make money. That's kind of the idea that's that I would expect to, to be spread around in that case. And so I do think it's just, it's a high risk, maybe not as much in a, you know, the, the likelihood of something happening, but rather um, the consequences if something were to happen for one of these leagues.
Well, I mean, and, and let me ask you this: Has anyone in the world of sports that are that you're aware of? And I, I would think that we would know about this because of how high profile it w- would be. Has anyone in the world of sports had a serious case of Corona or COVID? Not that I'm aware of. Um, the closest thing I can say is Carl Anthony Towns, uh, NBA center. His mother passed from coronavirus. Okay. And so at that point, and it wasn't spread from him that, that we know of, and that certainly um, would not be a fair assumption to make. But it does raise the question, could these leagues playing you know, eventually spread to people, people that are more vulnerable like that? And I think that's a huge concern as well. Right, and uh, agreed. And that's the... You know the the challenge of of doing any of this because I think this bubble, this bubble strategy is going to be em, employed just about everywhere, mm-hmm. with varying degrees of restrictions, and with varying degrees of success. Right. So in the case of the NBA going down to Orlando. It's been noted that, well, you're going to check these guys into hotels and play on the Disney campus. Right. But the guy that drives the bus from the hotel to the to the arena, well, he or she is going home to their family. They are going to the, the grocery store down in that area. Right. So it's like, how many people do you let in and out of the bubble? And that's where these things become incredibly difficult. And that's where the NFL idea seems very unfeasible to me uh, because of the amount of people that, that are involved in a sport like football relative or compared to basketball. Um, you mentioned some of the, uh, I guess, restrictions within the bubble. The NBA released a 113-page list of restrictions this week, including things like uh, no doubles in table tennis, um, no, no, okay. <laughs> n- no caddies in golf. Let's see. No headsets I, the, during, during video the cards games have to be destroyed after poker games. Right. I think I heard that one. <laughs> and and the, the other thing is there's discipline, um, including suspension or removal from the campus for violating rules. So we could, we could see a NBA finals where, uh, you know, Chris Middleton has been suspended for two games for violation of bubble rules um, for playing doubles ping pong, a doubles ping pong controversy or scandal, if you will. And and let's play this through. Let's play this through to the other side. So, and, you know, obviously there's, there's issues with the economic side of this. The players want to get paid, you know, in particular the major league baseball players, you know, it's hard It's hard for anyone, even if you're a multi-million dollar athlete, to go a year without a salary. The The revenue side of this is going to be, uh, you know, it's, it's going to be questionable, right? The, there's going to be uh, the loss of ticket sales. There is going to be the loss of sponsorship in terms of the, I'm, I'm not aware of what's going on in terms of the TV rights fees on this. So, I mean, so I think there's some questionable things in terms of the economics. Let me switch this around, Doug. What do you think about this as a, and I know a couple of weeks ago, I think when the NBA, you you came in and you were, you were hyped up that the NBA was coming back. Yeah. 
if I ask you to do a thought experiment, what are you really going to think about this programming when it's all... And, and I, I hate the way I phrase that because I think I put a little bit too much negativity into it. What do you think your reaction as a fan is going to be to these to these events going on? Is this going to be as good as regular seasons? Is this going to be better? Is it going to be worse? And I mean, and, and it's fair to, you know, you can add any sort of, well, it depends. And I think that's a fair response to this. Mike, your phrasing does not phase my enthusiasm one bit. Okay. I am very much excited if these games happen. That's my, I'm skeptical. I'm skeptical as to whether this is really going to happen. Like, I will believe it when I see it. Um, But to me, I think the drought of sports has built up for a fan of this league in particular, has built up increasing anticipation of these matchups and these games. Players are healthy. Yes, it will not be the same atmosphere. And to me, that is big. I think the biggest caveat in this whole thing is how the NBA presents it like are, is there going to be music playing is it going to are we going to hear them mic'd up because that'd be kind of cool but i doubt they do that uh with it being a disney product and so that's that's a wait and see part of it to me um but at the end of the day it's competition with some of the best athletes in the world and it's really the nba's narrowed it down to the best teams in the world and so okay. yeah my, my enthusiasm as an nba fan ha- has not diminished at all Okay, a couple of follow-up questions. Okay. And what I'm getting at, what I want to get at here is some boundary conditions and all this. How many, and I think you're more, I think you're more hyped up about the NBA than MLB. How many games will MLB have to play for it to be a legitimate season? Uh, I would say the very minimum would be 50. 50, okay. Yeah, that that's like my minimum. You know, I think you could make the argument because people have long felt that the MLB season is too long. Um, it loses you lose interest when they're playing the number of games that they are, or or I guess the younger generation tends to lose interest. Well, let me let me insert a, a side question on that, and then I want you to continue. Okay, uh, I've always thought that part of the issue with MLB is that it doesn't. Part of the reason why having so many games hurts them. Is because it's it's the almost ends up being the opposite of the NFL, where oh god, it's Sunday. This is like the day of the week, and I know the NFL is spread to Thursdays and Mondays. It, it, you know, almost week, almost daily programming in some ways. Right. But MLB will be doing this every every day, pretty much. I mean, you know, they're saying 60, 60 games in sixty six days, and so is is it. Too many games, or is it too many games and too short of a time is the issue? Yeah, I think that's a, a very fair question. I'm not opposed just just to leverage this whole situation as kind of an experiment with baseball. I'm not opposed to having every team play every other team once and having closer to an NFL kind of season because the stakes would be so high in every game, and I think that's what makes baseball – less interesting to to a more mainstream audience like i was saying is that it's like oh did you see the red sox game last night like oh that was last night i thought it was tonight oh well like i'll catch their next 78 games you know because (laughs) they play so many and like one loss doesn't really hurt your win percentage um 
too much. The games don't hold much weight. If they were to play each other once in a shortened season, every game would matter. It would not be the same um, level of of defining the best team. I think obviously a larger sample size tends to. Okay, so so you're advocating for complete interleague play in the shortened season. Yeah, I, I mean, I okay. as a. I would like to see the general public's response to that because my bet is that the, the game's holding so much weight and um, the shortened season would, A, it would provide the players with with rest between games, but, but B, from a fan standpoint, it would allow us to see how does the MLB fare with a shortened season uh, where every game matters more, and as a result, there's increased intensity to the point where my bet is we would see playoff-like intensity, perhaps the most intense regular season of baseball we've seen. Okay, so this is this is interesting to me because um, when I think about baseball, I think that baseball has really defined themselves as this classic, unchanging. Well, it, it, baseball changes, but they they want to put themselves as this classic, relatively stable sport versus uh, the sport that really wants to sort of change with the times, okay? Mm-hmm. And I think baseball has been hammered for that, right? The games are too long. It's the pace is, well, the pace is too slow and the games are too long. The benefit of baseball, let's say sticking to their roots, despite the DH and interleague play, is that it becomes a more, and I think the theory is that it becomes a of a more enduring brand, a mm-hmm. classic product. Mm-hmm. I like where you're going with it. So you take this as an opportunity to almost run the season as an experiment. Uh, is that almost what you're, uh, you know, yeah. that, That's like, that I, you are, I, now you got, now you got, you, you got chances, right? You do play, have every team play every team twice. You get rid of the leagues, get rid of that structure um, because of the, and you can almost imagine that you could, you could justify some of this. Because there are so many games in such a short time period that we're going to do some things to pick up the pace of the game. Maybe the games are seven innings long or they are there's a clock between between pitches, though, even as I say this, I, I like the idea. I love the idea of experimentation. Maybe this asterisk base, this asterisk season gives them an occasion. But are you concerned about and are you concerned about what? it does to the game or sort of the, the long-term view of the game by the fan base. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think there's a trade-off or a risk at hand with that kind of, I mean, it's the same as if, if the NBA had decided to do a three on three season or tournament, okay. um, it would be interesting. I think most NBA fans would watch that, but certainly it may feel gimmicky to some, or it may feel, um, you know, like it doesn't count in the grand scheme of things in the history of the league. And so for baseball, I understand the brand is this classic. You're watching the same product that your great granddad watched. Okay. And, and you can pass it down to your kid and one day you'll be that great granddad. That's kind of the idea with baseball. And so changing it up um, certainly feels risky, but I think the perception of the MLB right now, and quite frankly, the circumstances provide an opportunity where I think the benefit may outweigh the cost. I certainly think it's worth considering, and I haven't heard much talk of such things. Um, I would expect either nothing or you know a 60 or 70 game season with playoffs that's going to be crammed. And it's 
it's I don't know. It'll it'll be interesting to see what happens. Obviously, there's a lot of negotiating going on right now and not a whole lot of progress. I'm skeptical as to whether there will be a final product. To me, it feels like a, a real dilemma where you're going to see both sides lose ultimately. <laughs> um, and and I guess that you could probably speak on that more from an academic perspective. That has been the tradition of baseballs. Uh, whenever the owners talk to the players, that seems to be the outcome, frankly. Okay, so that's sort of this fight between experimentation and tradition in baseball. Now let me bring it back to basketball, which you, you mm-hmm. did reference. Will basketball feel legitimate? Will this feel like it was a, you know, just sort of the question in baseball was how many games do they have to play? In the case of the NBA, let's, let's switch it up a little. So for this to feel legitimate, what percentage of players have to be playing the games, mm. not in, you know, the guys that are not in, put in quarantine for the season to feel legitimate? Yeah, I think, I think that is the biggest question because... I feel like you need all of them. I mean, if you look at championship teams of past, it's not just LeBron, you know, and, and his wingman that you need out there. There's so many role players that are important. And even looking back a couple of years ago, the Warriors, when they blew the 3-1 lead, um, Andrew Bogut went out after that 3-1 lead due to injury, and they didn't have a rim protector. And I've always felt like, you know, yeah – the Cavs won, but they wouldn't have won if Bogut had been there. And he was not an all-star. I mean, he was not one of the main pieces. And so I think every series is going to feel that way unless all the players are out there. So I think that and with the restrictions that are in place right now is going to be very interesting. And with all likelihood, it will impact the league. Now, the reason I may be optimistic is because they have the players in that bubble early, right before the season. And the amount of precautions and sanitation going on within that bubble is, it seems extreme, uh, but hopefully they'll create a world where where there's no virus within the bubble. I, I think that might be the, uh, I think that might be the, the right way to, to end this discussion. I, I think you've, I think you frame that nicely. It will all, all be, uh, you know, in some ways the NBA may be the product that is built for this moment in sports in terms of having relatively small rosters mm-hmm. having which, which positions them to do things like play on uh, on the Walt Disney World campus um, they also had played much of the season which I think provides some legitimacy the other thing is that you know the NBA as a as a game has always been so much more star driven and so this you know putting the stars in a strange environment provides them opportunities that a league like major league baseball is not going to have you can and you know you got to get the tone right you don't want to have lebron james and lebron james and giannis going on the uh the water ride in the park together right <laughs> you, you got to play this with the right tone but it does seem like they are set up to uh they're, they're set up to execute this and maybe you can't escape having an asterisk but the nba might be the league that is best set up to to recover from this absolutely i i think see i think it can be fun i think they can leverage the situation in their favor 
Now, here's here's my last thought on this whole situation. I mean, we talk about fandom often. Um, having no fans in the stadium where a championship is being won makes me think back to last year. The Toronto Raptors won their first NBA Finals, and that crowd was such a big part of it, and it felt like a community winning a championship. Uh, if you take a team like the Milwaukee Bucks, who are not typically relevant you know, historically, because they're a smaller market team and they win a championship with in front of no fans, um, almost to me would feel if I were a Bucks fan, like, dang, you know, I've had season tickets for 50 years waiting for this and I didn't even get to see it happen in front of me. It's happening at Disney World in front of absolutely nobody. I don't know. It's uh, I guess I'm curious what the implications will be on fandom and what it'll feel like for fans. Yeah, I have to think it, it really varies. And it, it varies, right? So, uh, like a championship going to Milwaukee. Wow, I can't remember the last time there was a championship in Milwaukee, you know, outside of the, the Packers, but Green Bay. Right. Green Bay, perhaps part of the Milwaukee market by some strange stretch of the imagination. <laughs> so I, I can imagine that a small market like that would be going crazy. I mean, you know, and you can add this to to the equation, right? So are people going to be gathering in sports bars oh, in Milwaukee? 100%. You know, well, and you know how crowded those sports bars can get. Yeah. And so it's there going to be social distancing in, in Milwaukee sports bars in the fall and and so again i i think we're back to the we're back to the strangeness of all of this that this may be uh you know it and it's it is almost like an experiment right so if you win a championship in these kind of circumstances does this end up feeling hollow if it happens for milwaukee if it happens in LA, is it just sort of another checking the box? It was mm-hmm. kind of this this novelty kind of season. Everyone's glad to have it back, but does it help uh, the given franchise really build that brand? I, I have to think that if it happens in Milwaukee, that there is so much there. There's been such a drought, and this is such a great story for a small market team that the fans truly, you know, the the passion is generated. Now, of course, then. For everyone that's ever been from a small market, the next expectation is then it's time for the superstar to move on. Right. Yeah, and we saw that with with Toronto last offseason with Kawhi Leonard. Um, But, I mean, I just think of it as a Georgia football fan because that's really, like we've talked about, my core fandom. And if after all these years, if Georgia were to win it, um, in an empty stadium, you know, this year, of course I'm pulling for that and I will take it, but it would feel like kind of, man, I wish I could have been there or I wish it could have happened next year or last year. But one last thing that came to mind while you're talking about the sports bar thing is that is, do you think these leagues are taking into consideration the collateral damage uh, as far as coronavirus is concerned when bringing back games? Because I think we'll see streets of people watching games on, on big TVs, you know, mobs of people watching games. And I would expect there to be more damage done as far as coronavirus is concerned outside of the league with watch party type scenarios than within the league with the players and and management and things of that nature. 
Well, I think you're correct that the spillover, and I'll use a general term, spillover could be could have long-term ramifications, right? So this idea of watching, you know, you can almost imagine having a watch party, and I don't recall the name of the uh, Milwaukee Bucks arena. You can almost imagine having a watch party in that arena, and you put the game, the championship games, up on the on the big screen, where and you know maybe you sell that sell that arena out every other seat, or you know with with some appropriate social distancing. If, is there sort of you know crowded sports bars watching this i mean in a way it's almost like you you're damned if you do if you're damned if you don't if you don't have crowded sports bars do you actually see a lot of these businesses going out of you know going under right and and so you we're we're back to we're we're back to almost where we started and it's probably a good way for us to end this week yeah is that this is this trade-off between this risk of you know, fully fully embracing it or deciding to what percent you're going to embrace it with, let's say, the watch parties at the arenas, crowded sports bars, and you get a spike in coronavirus uh, in, in the fall versus playing it as safe as possible and having a lot of the surrounding or the peripheral infrastructure or the fan community having those having those not not succeed, and that's. Again, we're we're all in uncharted territory, so it will be. And again, this overly overly used word by any academic, it will be interesting to watch. Absolutely. Well, I'm hoping we have games to watch, <laughs> um, yeah. regardless. And I guess we'll we'll see this week. Obviously, the MLB vote. Yeah. Um, and, and, and 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 if you know, we'll we'll see what happens. Major League. Uh, negotiations will be interesting, and hopefully, we'll have something new to talk about uh, next week. I, I, the only other thing I wanna I wanna highlight is we are a week behind in terms of our promised two week schedule on Fanalytics University, uh, but we will be launching class three on Thursday of this week. It is a class that is focused on consumer behavior, consumer psychology, uh, fan subcultures. So it, it really gets at the core the core customer of sports organizations. So look for that this Thursday. Uh, Until then, thank you.